Hello and welcome to Life Beyond the Numbers, the podcast for people who are curious about how to have a more fulfilling work life. We live in a world largely driven by numbers, logic and reason. But how we feel at work and about our work impacts us, our organisations and society. There is a relationship between the numbers of our organisations and the life beyond the numbers. I'm Susan Michrielon, your host. I've lived and worked in many countries. I've met people who love what they do and people who don't. People who bring their full selves to work and people who won't. But one thing that I've learned that is common to us all is that we are all unique and have unique experiences. And it's helpful to know that there are others who think like we do, or have had struggles too, or have gone where we want to go, or can show us things we didn't know. So join me and my guests as we place a lens on the human side of work life by sharing insights, stories and strategies to inspire you to let your uniqueness shine. Hello and welcome to episode 146 of Life Beyond the Numbers and this episode is going out on Saturday, September 23rd, 2023. My intention was to put out a solo episode on Saturday the 23rd and a compilation on the 30th. However, (laughs) it is now Wednesday, September 13th, as I record this introduction. And in an hour, I am going to be on a bus to the airport to take a break. And I won't be back until after this episode goes out. So what I've done is I've gone back into the archives and I've put together a compilation of two compilations. (laughs) So I went back right to 2020, to three years ago, and... I had been listening to some of those episodes when I was doing the research for the book and I thought, well, this is a nice compilation of bringing ourselves to work and what that means and how we look after ourselves. And so I hope you enjoy the compilation the various insights and nuggets from these guests and of course the original episodes are available to listen to if you'd like to hear more from any of them. In the meantime I hope you have a wonderful time wherever you are and I'll be back on Saturday the 30th. All going well. Until then, ciao! When I left London seven years ago and I told people that I was going to work for myself as an actuary from Cornwall. People looked at me and, and just, I might as well have been saying that I was going to go to the moon. Yeah, can I imagine? <laughs> yeah, so, well, that's just not going to work. And I was scared, I'll be honest, I was scared. But I thought, do you know what? If I don't do this, how will my children or the next generation ever think anything apart from having to go to the city put on that blue suit from Marks and Spencer's that I hated. Oh my goodness mm. me, like my office clothes. I used to spend money on these beautiful clothes that I really just didn't like, but had to wear. And you just had to turn up in the city 
in your uncomfortable shoes, go and get your coffee and sit at your desk and, and get on. And be grateful for your job. Be grateful for your job. And if you do leave your desk, I mean, remember in one of the organisations I worked in, there was a rule that if you left your desk, you had to put your jacket on. Oh, for God's sake. I know, I know. And, and it, it didn't help anyone. I remember going to events and just seeing a sea of 40 and 50 year old men in blue suits with ties that looked similar. And I'd have no idea who was who because there was no distinguishing feature. And it's awful to say, but I struggled. And it was easier for us women because you could wear a red jacket or you could wear um, a pair of shoes that were a different colour. But that was a strange environment actually looking back and it wasn't very diverse at all it really wasn't and it's a joy now being able to access so much more diversity online even things like seeing into people's homes on a zoom meeting it tells you a bit about someone doesn't it it's like, doesn't oh, it? yeah i was on a zoom call the other day and someone had loads of model toys at the top of their book bookshelf and I was just so fascinated. I was like, wow, you know, this, this person has, has got this whole collection and they've probably gone into the office for years and never mentioned it because we just yeah. don't. And you start to see people as people, as human yes. beings that have lives. Yeah. yeah. And it, it will start to burst stereotypes. That is right. Absolutely. Because there is no stereotype. And that is the point. I don't think there is a stereotype because when you start to learn about people, we're all different. We're all unique. And we've all got our quirks. We've all got little things that we enjoy and do. Otherwise, we wouldn't be human. And I think the only thing that's been wrong has been that we haven't been able to talk about ourselves and be ourselves. We're not um, different. We've not been able to express those differences. I, I remember my first appraisal. and. Um, I, and I actually think that they were right in mentioning this, but I, I'm quite annoying. So I walk around and I sing to myself. And, um, this is just something that I've always done. And, and I was sat there in the office and, and at some point, I don't even remember doing it, but apparently I'd been singing to myself. It's on the 360 feedback. And um, they said, right, we've got some feedback from our colleagues that we want to share with you. I was super keen to hear what it was because of course I'm like, right, tell me and then I'll fix it. Yeah. I'll just be whatever you want me to be because I want to be promoted. Um, and that in itself was awful, wasn't it? I mean, it's like a method of control. Like, tell me what I need to do and I'll do it. Just anything. And they said, yeah, you've got to stop singing in the office, Max. And I was sort of a bit horrified. I was like, really? So that means that I've got to come in here and I'm not allowed just to have a little, you know, sing song quietly to myself. And like, no, and... And I was like, oh, right, yeah, no, I get that, fine. But then fast forward 10 years, and I look back now, and I was, I think, we talk about controlling relationships, and I think I was possibly in a controlling relationship with the city, not with any organisation in particular, not with any individual in particular, but with the, the institution of it. And it, it, yeah, it took a little while to undo that, I think. So I'm using it as an example of how being in that city for me compromised me gradually over a long period of time and by the time I came out I wasn't me anymore yeah during my articles 
at Grant Thornton. I had many run-ins with partners and with HR who, I guess, it, it, it didn't really sit well with how I was meant to be representing myself and presenting myself as an accountant, and, you know. And it really came to a head where I used to love giving concerts at clients. And and at the end of the audit, as a, as a little first-year trainee uh, auditor, I used to offer the client a, a concert. You know, do you oh want to God. bring your do you want to bring your staff into the boardroom on the last day of the audit, and I'll bring my keyboard and my sound system. I'll set up and I'll give you guys a concert. And obviously, the client loved this idea. Cool, the auditors didn't give us a concert, but the company I worked for didn't see it the same way, and didn't appreciate the fact that I, I wanted to sing at work, even though I was doing fantastic things for client relations and seeing the auditor as being human and being a person who could also have do other things other than audit. But yeah, my accounting firm didn't see this one. They put a, put a stop to that and uh, said, talk less about your love for music. And uh, I happened to mention to a manager that my real passion was music and singing and performing. And uh, it affected my, my performance review terribly. And the manager wrote on my performance review, Mark needs to 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 really get clarity on what's more important to him, his music or his accounting. And, um, and and because of that, I was rated very badly on that audit and I got a drop in salary and et cetera. So I just started being silent about the, the music thing for the rest of my auditing career. It's really interesting. It's crazy, isn't it? 100%. How we compromise ourselves. For the, a... the, the second I finished articles and the second I walked through that door and I was qualified chartered accountant, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And that was to go to the bright lights of New York City to sing. Fantastic. And, and I like oh broke free. Like it was like, you know, just like the shackles of being in an office doing numbers just kind of, you know, it, it, it gave me clarity. And, and, and that was what I did. Wow. A suitcase. <laughs> just part of my breaking free. It was actually part of my recovery process, I guess, because when you are a creative person and you are doing numbers and spreadsheets all day, every day, it's a struggle, like you're struggling inside yourself. So that was just my break-free moment. I think that's part of the reason I was such a bitch of a manager, because I had a terrible domestic situation at that point when mm. I was that role. And I couldn't be the bitch at home, so I got to do it. At... I got to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean. It had to come out somewhere. It was a case of, well, my job is to make sure you do your job so rather than be the genuine person who was behind the horrible domestic situation I just took all that and and it came up there and it is you know if anybody sat down with me and said why have you suddenly changed from being this nice person that we employed and promoted and put into this position why have you suddenly started being a right hag yeah and if I'd have but then there I wouldn't have told them I'd have just gone well that's what you expect of me well, they were probably proud of you. <laughs> they kept promoting me, so they must have been. There you go. You see, you were ticking all the boxes. We're doing all the dirty work, you know. And the job was getting done. If you've got that professional, honest, respectful relationship with somebody, mm -hmm. and if you have a culture where feedback is part and parcel of the environment, and I'm a massive believer in catch people doing something right, because if 
people yes. get used to you telling them that was a brilliant call I really like the way that you closed them down got that appointment or mm. you really handled that customer well then and you know you could tell that they were getting quite upset but you did a brilliant job it's really easy to then just be able to go to them and go oh god that sounded really tough mm. did you know did that go the way you wanted it to mm. and you know because more often than not we are harder on ourselves than anyone else could ever be so you can guarantee they get off that phone and they just to be able to go actually do you know what I really, god I should have said this and I should have said that and and to have someone who says do you know, yeah, but that's great because you'll try that next time, won't you? Mm. Rather than, yes, you should. Mm. Or why didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I heard that. That was terrible. Yeah, it's, it's all about how how you have those conversations. And, and I do think that is one of the things that makes me good at what I do now is that I have done the job. I am mm. not just standing there as a mm. management and leadership consultant without having ever done it. It is, mm-hmm. God, I've... I've I've learned the hard way. You've been through the trenches. <laughs> I come in there and I've got so many terrible tales to tell you. I've also got the positives, but I can yeah. tell you awful stories. Yeah. But I think the amount of times that you do handle stuff badly, and, and you know, I have one particular, and I, I won't share it because it was so awful. <laughs> oh, <laughs> damn. <laughs> it was awful. It was, it was, I handled something so badly. Mm. And I knew even as, it, as this car crash meeting was going on, mm. I just wanted to say, do you know what, can we stop again? Mm. But I didn't have the courage to do that. And actually I think they'd have respected me way more if I'd have just gone, do you know what, I'm completely screwing this up. I'm really sorry. Mm. Let's just start again and mm. ignore anything that I've said so far. Tell me what's wrong. Would have been a way better way to handle it. I've been in this field for 20 years and, so much has changed in that time and we still use a lot of the same principles and models but the willingness to to understand that the stuff I've been banging on about for 20 years actually has value Mm. (laughs) and has a massive benefit to the bottom line Mm. of your business if you give your people the opportunity to do what they're best at do it to the best of their abilities and the responsibility to get on and do it and the trust to make that happen, mm-hmm. they will bring you so much back. Mm. Um, I was talking to someone this morning, we were talking about the fact that only 15, no, 16% of people in the UK are fully engaged and passionate about their job. Another 15% hate their job. Yeah. That leaves a big number in the middle yeah. that really don't care. And yeah. that worries me more yeah. than the number of people that hate their job. It's very scary. Clearly things have changed a lot in the last 20 years. But why are there still so many people that don't know how to manage or lead? I think because people like me and people like you and people who passionately believe this stuff works Mm -hmm. have been open to it for a long time. There's a massive culture shift, isn't there? There's a massive, massive demographic shift in the workplace. The demographics of the world have changed so much and that all of this leadership thinking and and the belief that people can add so much more value than the return on their salary. If you Mm -hmm. allow people to flourish and build on their strengths and use their strengths and and Mm -hmm. Teams that that work like that thinking it's only now that people that genuinely believe that are getting into the positions of 
real power to change that. So supporting in their difficult, lonely, isolated, challenging role. And that will save Oxfam lots of money because for somebody who might renew their contract, but they don't because they're fed up and fraught. And if a management coach can help the person to enjoy the job they're doing and, and feel fulfilled in the job they're doing and do it better, they will save the organization a load of money by renewing their contract and, and continuing. So being a coach to Oxfam country directors is perhaps the world's best job. You travel the world, go to interesting places, help people with their challenges and see them flourish. <laughs> and uh, what is the secret to flourishing? I would say it's doing simple things consistently. Coaching is about encouraging people to do simple things consistently and good management is indeed doing simple things consistently. And what are the simple things? Um, always acknowledge the reports that people give to you. Let them know you've read it and that you appreciate it. Always have your one-to-one uh, -one meetings with your colleagues. Always listen to them <laughs> always yes yeah, so the, the people things, side so getting the best out of people yes yeah it you will get the best out of people i think by doing simple things consistently yeah. uh, not letting the urgent replace the important mm. the important is very often not urgent mm -hmm. but it's important and the urgent is very often not important, but it's urgent, so you do it. <laughs> the job as a manager is quite different from the job as, as a doer. Mm -hmm. And so many of our managers don't manage their colleagues because really they feel now they've got a license to do even more. So there they are busy doing, and I, they haven't got time to spend, you know, have meetings with colleagues and discuss what they're doing or not doing they're too busy doing and that is i would say a fatal flaw because okay. mm. because your job now is managing the others not doing it yourself and indeed maybe not doing anything except supporting and managing and and realizing what it is that you're responsibility is as a manager mm. and yes sometimes the manager's manager doesn't appreciate that and the manager should be focusing on mm. the production capacity of those working you know the goose not the golden egg yeah look after the goose and it <laughs> produce the golden egg i think there's a lot of very interesting areas of good management trickling down or indeed bad management trickling down. I recall talking with a group of middle managers about how they were treated by their managers and whether they got acknowledgement for the reports they wrote and comments about them and whether they had a regular you know meeting with their manager to check progress and, and uh, their objectives and how they were getting on 
no, no, there's none of those. No, no, they never, no, that's no. And I said, and how about the way that you relate to the people you manage? And they suddenly realized that all the criticisms they are making of their managers, they were not themselves doing. So again, I come back, it's doing simple things consistently that so many managers don't do because they're too busy doing more urgent, but not necessarily more important things. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that Friends of the Earth, um, we're, we're very keen on and, you know, we're not perfect, but we're improving is having a culture where people do feel protected, psychologically safe and able to speak out, not just on whistleblowing, but, you know, grievance policies and things like that to improve the culture within the organisation. Psychological safety, it's an interesting one because I guess the culture has to come from the top. That It does, yeah. And, you know, and that's all about being authentic, being open, sharing early. Obviously, the last couple of months have been slightly uh, unusual. And we've been through lots of challenges within organisations, as I'm sure everybody has. And, you know, we haven't always got it right. We've put things in place which have changed very quickly. And we've had to adapt as we go through. And, you know, we're not perfect. We'll get it wrong. And actually feeling confident enough to say, sorry, you know, my bad, we misinterpreted something or this isn't what I thought. I think it's quite, it takes quite a mature SLT to have that mindset. I was going to say it's quite grown up. Yeah, it's quite grown up. And if, you know, I'm not saying that it's not like behind the scenes angst, but yeah, we, we're trying. We're trying really hard. Staff must yeah. recognise that, Kim. Yeah, I think so. We have interim CEOs at the moment, and that's basically been their focus is about having an organisation which is more mature, has the, those principles in place so that we can learn from each other. You know, SLT, just because in this, they're in these positions, doesn't mean we'll always get it right. We're, we're stronger when we work together. So what we're trying to do is empower people to, um, you know, speak up, not just on whistleblowing fraud things like that, but just within normal course of events. You know, the best ideas come from the bottom. Absolutely. Rather than the top. Absolutely. So if it's not just to create a better work environment and a happier world, because when you're happier at work, you're taking that home. And when you're miserable at work, you're taking that home. So it's more than that. It's actually contributing to the bottom line as well. If you can make more money by creating better work environment, You don't even have to invest that much money to create this better work environment. It's about making better decisions. If you can make more money by doing that, then to me, it's really a no-brainer. Making better decisions, is that the missing ingredient of happiness in the workplace? What do you mean by better decisions? For me, it, it centers around people and it's about putting people first. And, you know, you'll have a lot of this talk around putting customers first and, and all of that stuff. But actually, the evidence shows if you put your staff first, and I know Richard Branson talked about this quite a lot, it's really about putting people first in the organization. Now, I take that a step further and I talk about using data 
to back up your decisions. So oftentimes we make decisions based on gut. It could be based on maybe potentially flawed performance reviews and things like that. So it's using objective data to make better decisions, whether that's data that already exists in house. So you're like, I think we have a retention issue. Let's have a look at that. And are the numbers telling us something from that is there a problem here and then if there is a problem identified then having a look at well what might be some of the key drivers of that you know maybe it could be caused by a specific department or a specific manager and start looking at that in more detail but coming back to to the point of it's it's really about and I know you're into this as well Susan it's about putting people first whenever you make decisions it's about thinking about people and you can tell the difference between companies who tend to put their people first versus companies who don't it's it's do you view people as just objects and this is a machine or a robot that I've hired to do a task versus treating people like human beings and it's it's really putting the human back into the workplace yeah yeah that's cool but Maybe we can just pay more. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. And the thing is money, I don't have the stats uh, to hand, but let's say it's the law of diminishing returns. So you need to pay them enough money so that money doesn't become an issue. So pay them enough so that they feel like they are getting paid fairly. Now that might mean different things to different people. So you pay people enough to take money off the table. And then you create an environment where they can really live up to their full potential. They can see the impact that they're having and that that impact that they're having is in line with the change that they want to see in the world. They can witness around them the behaviors that align with their own core values. Those values are embodied by the leadership. They are rewarded. And anything that goes against those values is reprimanded in some way. I was going to say publicly reprimanded, but I mean in a in a nice way, like that you you're not taking someone down, but you're making it very clear that that the kind of behavior that is acceptable in the organization and the kind of behavior that's not. And, and I know that ties in a lot with what you talk about, Susan, in relation to having tough conversations, because those conversations are hard to have. They are really, really tough. How do you make workplaces happier? Well, for me, it's uh, based on the research that I did for my dissertation. Um, I I looked at uh, this concept of fit and the specific type I looked at was person environment fit. What this means is looking at values alignment, needs satisfaction and abilities, your abilities to meet the demands of the role, essentially. And if you think about work today and have a look on any job search websites, what we require is X number of years of experience and you need to have X, Y, Z skills to back that up. And I know you'll agree with me on this, like skills and experience are pretty meaningless. Experience, especially X number of years of experience, it really depends on on the types of experiences that you've had. So That's how we currently recruit. It's how we describe jobs. Careers are seen as very linear, but they're not they're not linear at all, but they're projected in this way. That actually has a very low impact on whether or not you fit in at work. And the things that have the bigger impact are the values alignment. So making sure that as an organization, you know what your core values are. And then when you're hiring someone, you hire someone whose values align with yours 
How you do that is you can do it through interviews. You can do it through surveys and really ascertaining what are the values that already exist in the team that I'm hiring for, in the manager that I'm hiring under, and ascertaining what are the values of the candidates who are interviewing for this role. The thing with values is, and this was the really interesting part of the research, that if you can show someone how their needs are being satisfied at work, then that really underlines the importance of values and it shows people how their values are aligned with an organization. So so I'll give an example. The three basic psychological human needs that we have are based on self-determination theory. The three needs are autonomy, relatedness, and competence. Autonomy is this concept that we get to choose what we do and how we do it. Relatedness then is how we relate to other people in that organization. It's a sense of belonging that we have. Now, didn't form part of the research I did, but I always like to include that it's how we relate what we do on a day-to-day basis to the bigger picture of what the organization is trying to achieve. And then competence is the, the third element of that. And that is feeling capable of doing your job. And moreover, I think it's important to get feedback So when you're delivering feedback to people, it's not dumbing down the negative, but it's setting clear, really clear expectations as to what is expected in this role. And then when someone is performing well, providing really great, valuable feedback and and letting people know the impact that they're having. I'd love to know when I first heard that phrase, work-life balance, because I'm convinced I didn't in the 90s, but I might have done in the noughties. And now I think the world has got itself into a lot of better place on those areas now. We, we do think about people's mental health and it goes together with work-life balance. I look at some of the ridiculous commuting I did and stuff like that. And, and some people say it was unnecessary then because it probably wasn't. You know, the, the, the IT advances have changed the world. But without doubt, companies weren't anywhere near... Uh, supportive enough of people's mental health or their work-life balance. I think I've always been somebody that's been able to get home and detach reasonably well from that. In fact, I probably struggle to do it more now because I do work from home most of the time and um, having kind of four or five roles makes them all overlap a bit. But I'm in a position and, and situation now where that matters to me less, where 20 years ago I wanted to get home, spend time with my wife, the kids, the dog, um, anywhere but the workplace, you know, you wanted to kind of park that somewhere out the back of your brain and, you know, might start thinking about it again on Sunday evening unless the phone rang over the weekend. Mm, mm. I always remember one of my bosses, who wasn't probably one of my better bosses, but he spoke to me, I remember, about appropriate selfishness. Ooh. And it's an interesting phrase and it doesn't sound that good, but, but there is an element of that phrase that stayed right, that there are certain things that are important to you that you need to operate in a good way. Um, and, you know, you need to know what they are and make sure you get enough of them. And if that doesn't work with other people, be it your work or your home or other things, then something's got to change. Because, you know, if you're not getting uh, enough of the things you need in the right way, then you know, life sooner or later unravels. So. Yeah, I, I like that phrase because it's also putting the onus on you to discover what yeah. is appropriate. Yeah, no, it's it's a really good phrase to say. It wasn't anyway close to my best boss, but it, you know that that was something I I did take from him and learn. 
if I could go back in a time machine, I'd probably have had more sleep in my early years. I think it's really important. And I think it, it's such a shame that it's only probably in the last five years, maybe 10 at most, where it's become such a, a sensitive topic. Yeah. Relaxation is absolutely key. And yeah. it took me a long time to realise that that were really an important ingredient to being successful is you've got to learn to relax. It also means that at the weekend is really switching off and doing different things and, and putting the phone in another room. And it's amazing you take that approach. You actually realise your performance starts to actually go up. You're thinking. In Sometimes we need to step into the unknown rather than always waiting to know what it is we're stepping into. And to do yeah. that, to do that, we need to let go of some stuff. And that might be our need for that validation of the status of the title. Uh, it might be the, the financial rewards. Now, I'm a pragmatist. I, I couldn't let go of all my financial rewards immediately. But there is a piece about how can you make that work and stepping into the unknown, letting go of something that's been holding you back. And... That was one of the things that was apparent to me that I actually just wasn't giving myself the freedom to try new things. My head was full of the shoulds. I should do this. Yeah. I should yeah. have a career that looks like this. I should work these kind of hours. I should um, do this for my family. Oh, also as a working mother, uh, I should be the one who looks after everybody and everything. And all those pressures we put on ourselves. I mean, some of them come from other people, but we've absorbed them all. Oh, <laughs> you want a really defining moment that was actually on a yoga retreat. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, this was not actually in a yoga class, but with a therapist who was there. So she was asking me what my gut instinct was about something. And I was talking in the realm of what am I going to do with my career? Yeah. What does your gut instinct tell you? And I said, mm, nothing. I, ha I had so lost touch with what I wanted that I had to do, you know, quite a lot of my own soul searching. Yeah. And that's, so that was also brought me to doing more yoga, more meditation, more of those holistic um, yeah, connecting, connecting with, you. with myself and realizing yeah. I hadn't done that and reflection. So, mm. you know, mm. it's one thing I'm always urging people to actually create the time and space for reflection because when we are so busy on some little hamster wheel, we, we lose track of what's really important to us and we lose track of where our energy would be best spent well, where we're going to create our energy and how we're going to use it mm. we need to step back and create that yeah. space for reflection to actually big picture thinking you know what yeah. what are we here to do and yeah. we need yeah. that at an organizational level as well as at an individual level sometimes we just need to come back to the central question of why we're here at all yeah, and then it, it's it's understanding who we are at the core, mm. also, Sue. Like, our, what are our values that that we won't compromise? Yeah. And 
that's something that maybe we don't always understand until they're challenged. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and yeah. sometimes I think if we are really busy and we're really just on the treadmill with the blinkers on, we actually don't even see that they're being challenged mm. until they've been pushed so far that either we individually are potentially in a burnout kind of situation because we physically and mentally and emotionally have been pushed so far or that we've um, just been going along with this is the way things are for so long that we if we stop and think we realize that if we had a boundary here that we've been pushed way past it and we didn't notice it happen so I think it's really important to um, start thinking about our personal values and being able to articulate them as well and being able to articulate what it looks like to be successful at living those values and move away from a picture of success being all about the extrinsic rewards of money and status. And I always say to people, of course, it's great to have a beautiful home and be able to do things that you want to do and go on holidays or whatever. I love all those things too, but you've also got to weigh that up at, at what cost. Mm -hmm. And if it's mm -hmm. at the cost of your health or your family or that greater sense of uh, who you are at the core, then perhaps it's not worth it. I think as leaders, that's what we should be striving for is to create the workplace so that the people who come and work with us can bring their whole selves. This is about whether you're a man or a woman, which kinds of traits are you bringing to the workplace? And mm. we're seeing that you do need to be uh, strong and have certainty about who you are. And part of that is actually really being compassionate and empathetic to other people. And this, mm. this balancing of strength with empathy. Work-life magic. Fabulous. What is your secret, John? How have you managed to have your work life be magic? I think the one of the most helpful things I heard about work life balance was don't think of it as a static balance. Think of it more like a tightrope walker, which is moving forward, a tightrope walker moving forwards. And they don't keep the balance pole or whatever they're using to balance in one place. They're always shifting depending on where things are moving. The other thing that's been really important is coming back to values. And, and your value system directly translates into what you give time to. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you come across the image of putting rocks and stones and sand into a jar. Yes. Yeah, I love that. If you think about the rocks being the really important things, you know, kids' birthdays, weddings, anniversaries, family holidays, that kind of thing. Then the stones are slightly less important things. Well, there might be things about looking after yourself, exercise, reflection time, or important work meetings, that kind of thing. And then the sand is just all the other stuff that comes in, you know, the hundred emails you get every day or whatever, most of which are not that important. The trouble is if you fill up, if you put the sand in first, then there's no space to fit anything else in. If you put the big rocks in first, 
then there's a bit of space in between them. You can put the little rocks in, it'll fill up some of that space, and then you can the sand will fill up the gaps. Mm. So it's I a great the, analogy because brilliant. you can really it. picture that. Yeah, and you, but it has come has to come from you deciding what are the big rocks in my life, what is important, and how am I going to structure my values, and how's mm. that going to translate into into time. Mm. It's all about what what's important to you and. And making time for that. Yeah, I think an important part of that is realizing that you have agency in your mm. own life, that you are not completely dictated to by those around you or by the world or by expectations. So I love baked beans. You, don't worry, stay with them. me. You'll see <laughs> where we're going with this. I love baked beans, grew up eating baked beans, developed this sort of almost passion for them. But my wife hates them, always has done, like you. And I'm ashamed to say at the beginning of our marriage, you know, 27 years ago, she did most of the food shopping. And because oh, she hates baked beans, she never bought them, never thought to buy them, didn't even want to go near them. So I didn't get baked beans for years. And I mean, now I do most of the food shopping, but hey, life's changed. I um, There did come a point where I suddenly realized, oh, and this is about 15 years into our marriage, I could buy my own baked beans. That's brilliant. I love it. It's just brilliant. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the paths we traversed on today's episode. If something rang through for you, be sure to let me know. Or maybe you can share this with someone in your life who would benefit from listening too. And if you enjoy helping others, I'd be so grateful if you would leave a review so that people who might also be curious about their own life beyond the numbers can discover this podcast too.